The following audio content is a talk given at the Inn, a college ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theinnseattle.org. If I've met you yet, my name's Grant Gustafson. Um, I was born and raised in Vancouver, USA. Sometimes I tell people that, and they're like, they still ask Canada. I'm like, that doesn't work. Vancouver, USA, you know, that's Washington. It's great. It was apparently the first Vancouver. I won't spend too much time on that. Um, came up here to go to school at UW, studied psychology, and did the sales program there. Graduated in 2013, which is now four years ago, which is crazy. And then um, I attended the Inn and became an intern, like Thurt said. And now I work with Centered, and we're doing the weekend. You guys should come. It's really great. It's, yeah, it's going to be fantastic. And I go here to UPC, um, member here. And I also have another announcement that I was asked to give about Camp Side-by-Side. Does anyone know about Camp Side-by-Side? Yeah. Okay, guys. This is like, it's a week-long commitment. And it's, it's a lot of work. But if you do it, and you really give it your all, this is going to be like one of the best weeks of your life. I just, I just have to say it. I love Side-by-Side. I'm, this is my fifth year going. It's a camp where they partner with families who have a child going through serious illness, um, usually cancer, children's hospital, so they connect with a lot of families there. And you get paired up with a buddy, and you just, I mean, your buddy will just have the best week of their life, and it is awesome. It is the kingdom of God in front of your eyes. So I love it. There's a sign-up sheet in the back. They need more buddies. That's the role they're looking for. So if you are free, these dates, August 5th through 11th, I would encourage you to consider it. At least pray about it. Then the Lord can tell you to do it. And he's, you know, <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> he might tell you not to, which is kind of be like, Lord. Um, anyways. Um, okay. Well, so the interaction question, the second one, like, have you ever been caught off guard by something? You're going about your day. And it's, it's really a feeling of conviction, like, ah, oh, I have to do that. Or I have to, it could be a piece of trash, could be like, I don't know, if you live in a house with a lot of roommates, it's like, ah, paper towel on the floor in the bathroom, and I just know I have to pick it up. You know, it's like a conviction, right? Um, how, how'd that question go? Did anybody have a response to that question? Did you guys understand that question? It sounded like there was some confusion. Does it, has anybody had an experience like that? Sometimes. Apparently not. Sometimes it's like you walk, it's like maybe you're walking by like a homeless person, and you're like, man, I just got to give them some food or like a dollar or something. Well, um, I had that happen to me, and it just kind of got me thinking. And so for me, one of those moments came about a month ago during the crow nesting season. Do you guys know about this? Okay, if you know about this, I'm sorry for the nightmares that you've been having the last month. The crow nesting season is a time of year when crows become particularly territorial and aggressive. Uh, and they will dive bomb any creature that comes in the vicinity of their babies who are learning to fly, even humans. So, like me, they'll call constantly, and they'll actually try to hit you when you're not looking. I had two friends in one week get clawed in the back of the head. Like, it drew blood, and they were telling me, they're like, yeah, it was crazy, man. I'm like, ah. My friend, one of my roommates would walk out to his car with a bat, and I was like, love thy enemy. Like, don't do it. Um, but it's a real deal. So, okay, what's the point? Okay, so uh, one morning, I was sitting in the den of our house. We live up here on um, 52nd and 16th. And um, I was sitting, working on some stuff, and I, I heard that noise that you can't ignore, even if it's a crow, a baby crying. It was a baby crow crying. And I was like, oh, man, 
tried to ignore it for a while. I'm like, okay, what's going on? This baby crow's in trouble, right? <laughs> and so I look out, and, and we're on the ground level, so there's one of those enclaves that goes into the ground, and the baby crow had fallen in there. He can't fly yet, I'll have you. And so I tried to ignore it. I was like, ah, he'll be fine, he'll be fine. And then I started thinking about it. I was like, well, unless he learns to fly really quick, or he like <laughs> builds a ladder or a small elevator, he's not going to be fine. So... I go, I get some, some gardening gloves on. I like kind of look around for, the, I know the mother's gonna be coming at me to behead me at any moment. But she's not around, she must be getting food or something, so I go over, I jump down the little enclave, um, I pick up the baby, who by the way is freaking out and he thinks I'm gonna like murder him, but I plop him on the ground and then there's this moment where he just kind of looks at me with those little baby crow eyes and his wings are all sprawled out and he's just like, <laughs> And he just gets up and he kind of like hops away. And I was like, yeah, that, that, it's just a good feeling. I shed a tear. And I literally, these crows, they're territorial, so they kind of raise their babies in one spot. I literally watched this crow learn to fly over the next weeks. I would watch him out the window, and he's like, they swoop between branches. I learned a lot about crows. This is really nerdy. But they're crazy. <laughs> they're crazy creatures. So, but that just got me thinking. It's like, what is that? Even like that I would care about um, a baby crow, you know? I think God puts this, this feeling in us for a reason. Um, whether it's a feeling I, I get in this situation, here, poor old baby crow, poor young baby crow, um, or when you pass by somebody who's hurting or crying out, it's called conviction. And so pity is inside all humans, this idea of pity. But as followers of Jesus, when the Holy Spirit catches a flame in you, the feeling of pity or sympathy becomes conviction, and it propels you towards action. That's, that's a sign of the Holy Spirit and what it does in us. So um, I was reading this article in Forbes magazine <laughs> after getting off my yacht. Um, no, I don't usually read Forbes, but I searched for the story, and it was in Forbes, so I read Forbes magazine. So, but, so the story reads, um, this month, Surveillance video of a two-year-old Chinese girl being run over by two different vans at a market in China shocked the world. As the girl lay dying, the video shows at least 18 people casually passed by her without stopping to help. The article goes on to state the appalling response from both Chinese citizens and the world abroad, stating um, that China's, and in many ways the world's, in a moral decline. So like many of you guys, I am deeply troubled when I read this article, and there's been a lot like it. You can go online, you can go on YouTube, and people do these social experiments where they collapse in public or act like they're having a, a, an emergency to see if anybody responds. And it's, it's crazy how people will just walk by or maybe they kind of look, or some people don't, like, don't even notice, you know? And so the, the, re- the, the article that I read um, claims that it may be due to what researchers call unattentional blindness. Um, I don't know if you guys have heard of this. It's like a phenomenon where we do not attend to things that are right in front of us because we are so intently focused on something else. So they do this. You guys have probably seen the experiment where people are passing a basketball. You're supposed to count how many times they pass it. And in the middle of it, they say, did you see the gorilla? And it's like, no, where was the gorilla? But then you watch it again. And if you're not counting the basketballs, you see the dude in the gorilla suit come through. But the unintentional blindness is if you're not if you're not looking for something, if you're really focused on something else, you'll miss stuff that's right in front of you. So it could be, you know, you're focused on getting to class, you're focused on getting to work. Whatever it is, you can miss things. It's just the way that uh, we kind of get tunnel vision sometimes. 
So, with that as kind of a preface, uh, we're going to turn to the scriptures. And our scripture today comes from the Gospel of Mark, though it's also recounted in Matthew and Luke. And in this story, Jesus is on his way to heal a man's daughter who has fallen deathly ill. At this point in his ministry, Jesus has been preaching and teaching about the kingdom of God, and he's amassed quite a following of believers, skeptics, and opposers. So a large crowd was following him as he set out to intently uh, get to this man's house, and everyone hoped to heal his daughter. So that's kind of the situation, and now we'll read the passage. So... Um, Yeah. So, and a woman was there. So they're walking. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. And just for context, um, if you're a woman like this in Jewish culture and you have a condition like this, you're considered unclean. So not only do people ignore you, but um, just as if you were a leper or something, they would kind of avoid you at all costs lest they become unclean themselves and would have to go through ceremonial rituals to become clean again. So that's the situation she's in, and she's been there for 12 years. But when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and, trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. So... Um, this series, you guys have been focusing on how we can gain insight into Jesus' leadership style and uh, by observing his, his life and teachings, situations like this. So the question is, what is he showing us here? Obviously, we can learn a lot from this story um, about the woman's faith, about compassion. I mean, there's just, it's, it's just an exciting story in general. There's kind of a whole scene going on there in a crowd. Um, but we're going to ask, what does it tell us about Jesus? And... I think if you look at this and you ask what does this tell us about Jesus, it's that he's interruptible, um, that he can be interrupted, and he lets himself be interrupted. Even though there's so much commotion around him, and even though he's intently focused on reaching the home of this man whose daughter is dying, um, he does not fall to this inattentional blindness that, that the article talked about. So what makes Jesus interruptible? Is that a leadership quality in itself? Um, and how can we live a life willing to be interrupted or let ourselves be interrupted by things that are um, sudden or surprising. So if we take what it means to be interruptible, I want to zero in on three qualities of what we can see in this situation, things we can see about Jesus. And the three things are his awareness, his boldness, and his goodness. By the way, who picked the worship songs tonight? Because y'all were listening to the Holy Spirit. <laughs> I was like writing things down. I was just like, man, that is cool. Um, I'll get more to that later. 
Um, but so awareness, boldness, and goodness. And if you guys have something to take notes with, I don't say this because my sermon is going to be so great, but I'm going to give you some scriptures that you can look up later if you want like more context and stuff like that. And they're just great scriptures to remember too. So, um, but first of all, let's focus on Jesus's awareness here. So there's a fascinating thing that happens in this scene. The scripture reads that as soon as the woman touched the edge of Jesus's garment, It says, at once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. And he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? And that is just an interesting thing, because I don't think I've ever heard a Christian say that, ever. Um, I felt power go out from me. You know, well, one thing, it might be kind of prideful. But secondly, it's just that we don't think that way. It's like Jesus is operating in a way that uh, we're just not accustomed to. And what it means to me is that there's not only a physical awareness he has, um, but that there's a spiritual awareness he has. So even his disciples' reaction is telling. They say, um, do you see how many people are crowding against you? Another um, gospel says, like, there are people everywhere, essentially. And yet you can ask, who touched me? Like, who specifically touched me when everybody's touching you? It's this idea that he's aware of somebody specific, that he, can't, he didn't even know they were there, so to speak. And, and yet he can, he can see it. And I'll just stop right here and say this because I think it's important. Jesus at this point is, is operating under the power of the Holy Spirit and directed by the Father, which is exactly what we are called to do. So for me, it's easy to look at Jesus, and if he's, if he's doing these things as God in the full power of God, he is God, but he, he relinquished his power, came in the form of a servant, and then was filled with the Spirit, modeled the way for us. So if he's doing these things at God, it's, as God, it's like, that's cool. If he's doing them as a model for me to live a life empowered by the Holy Spirit, submit it to the Father, then it like changes the way I think. I'm like, whoa, shoot, like I can do that, you know? And Jesus said, these things you'll do in greater. So I just want to preface that as something to think about as we go forward. So spiritual awareness. Um... How can we have this kind of awareness? It's not uh, just, again, it's not physical awareness, but spiritual awareness that Jesus had. And one of my favorite teachers, uh, some of you may listen to him, his name is Bill Johnson out of a church in Redding, California. He gives a great illustration that I think can help us. Um, He references chapter 3 of John, which I believe Caitlin spoke on last week, the baptism of Jesus. So... Uh, If you remember, and maybe she talked about this last week, it says, after Jesus was baptized, the heavens opened up and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in the form of a dove. And then came the voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. You guys remember that? Um, So it's interesting that that, um, this imagery of a dove, like the Holy Spirit being a dove, it's the international sign for peace is a dove. So there's this idea that the Holy Spirit is represented by a dove. So imagine um, there's a dove. If you've never seen a dove, it's like a pigeon, but more beautiful. (laughs) I'm your bird expert tonight, so I know all about these birds. So picture a dove landing on your shoulder. Then imagine that that God is calling you to go um, walk over to somebody and um, have the dove land on their shoulder. My question to you is how are you going to do that? How are you going to approach it? So a dove lands on your shoulder. Have, have you guys been around pigeons? They're like the most skittish creatures ever. It's like they're just, you know, fluttering around. And so, you know, the answer that I would give and, and Bill gives in his teaching is that you would walk carefully. Um, as he says that you would walk taking every step with the dove in mind. 
there's an awareness of something other than yourself going on. And that's what I think is interesting about this idea of the dove descending and resting upon Jesus. Uh, it's not like you're holding it there. It's not like you're, you have to cultivate an awareness in yourself where the Holy Spirit is, is resting on you. I don't know how that works theologically. Does the Holy Spirit descend and ascend? I don't know. But I do know that if you have an awareness of him, he can do more, right? As if I'm just like God's, I don't even really think about God being here, you know? So it starts with that kind of awareness, So, to be interruptible in the way Jesus was, we have to be aware of the Spirit in us. What is the Spirit saying to me? What am I sensing in my spirit? Galatians 5 tells us to walk by the Spirit. Um, If you've ever heard that verse, it's Galatians 5.16. The whole chapter 5 is just really good stuff. But some translations say to keep in step with the Spirit, which I love that translation because it's almost like a dance. Has anybody ever, like, taken a dance class or done, like, salsa lessons or something? What happens when you, you're doing a salsa lesson, right? And then you get off on the step. You're out of step. What happens? If it's your first time, you're, you're, you're usually like, oh, sorry. And then you try to like recalibrate, right? It's kind of <laughs> awkward. But then you get into it. You kind of get in this groove, right? It's kind of like, okay. No, I'm in it. That's it. And if you miss a step again, you kind of just slide back into it. it. It's not mechanical is what I'm saying. It's it's a dance, and that's what it's like having an awareness of the Holy Spirit where we walk. You know, next time you're out to eat, and it's like, oh, I'm just hanging out with my friends. Just ask the question, actually, Lord, is there anything you want me to be aware of? Maybe the waitress needs encouragement. Maybe your friend needs encouragement. Maybe there's just some slight inkling that you feel because all of a sudden you're aware of the dove. So, first thing, awareness. Secondly, boldness. Look at how Jesus reacts um, to the woman touching his garment. He senses the power go out from him. Then he almost, um, he becomes almost surprisingly intent on finding her. It's like he's intently going this way. Uh, something happens that nobody even sees or knows about, and he stops. And he, he says, who touched me? Um, the disciples are like, what are you talking about? Um, they're good at understanding. And then... It says, but Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. He like stops and he's intent on finding her. Why? Not to condemn her because that's not what he does. He, he rewards her faith. Um, but he's bold about it. He's not casual about it. He stops what he's doing. And so why is he bold like this? Because faith is always rewarded and Jesus will always stop for the hurting. The scriptures, um, yeah, I already said that. So... Once we, here's the thing right here, is once we notice the Spirit's conviction within us because of our awareness to him, then we must act boldly upon that conviction. Um, we've all had those moments, and I don't want you to hear this wrongly, so just bear with me. We've all had those moments, I've had many, where we feel the Spirit convicting us to do something, to give, to help, to pray for somebody, and we don't. Now, don't hear, Jesus does not condemn us. And if you feel condemned, I encourage you to look at Jesus and see um, the look on his face. He doesn't condemn us, but it does feel kind of crummy, right? That's like, oh, I wish I, I knew God was saying that. I didn't do it. Don't, don't get into like the I should have, I should have, I should have. But there is this idea that there are opportune moments that when we feel the conviction to do something, we have the opportunity to act upon it. Now, this sounds maybe a little bit like, uh, 
that makes me nervous, you know, like, oh, I think God's saying this. And we, we don't want to get nervous about, about it. And here's why, is where does the boldness come from? It doesn't come from us. That's the thing. I, people don't really believe this. I'm like an, I'm an introvert. So for all the introverts out there, I connect with you. I'm either an extroverted introvert or an introverted extrovert. I've heard those terms. I don't really know what they mean, but I'm one of them. And it's this idea that like, if you were just to like have me go up to a stranger and talk to them, it's not my natural thing. It's like, well, maybe I'll like just give them a wave and then tomorrow I'll give them one of these. And then like the next day I'll talk to them. You know, it's like, but when the Holy Spirit convicts me, I have to rely on his boldness. You know, he, I really do think he gives us a supernatural sense of you can do this. There's an encouragement and, and boldness that comes from the Holy Spirit. Why is that? Because the Holy Ghost is bold by nature. That's his nature. And he's not bold just for the sake of being bold. He's bold because the Father cares about creation and everybody in it. So it's not actually just like, you need to be bold. The, the, the root of it is you need to love with the love the Father has, and he puts it in you. You don't come up with it yourself. And so when, when we're asking the Holy Spirit to give us boldness, what we're really asking is like, I want to be compelled by the love of Christ. That's what the scriptures say, right? I don't want to be compelled to like see something cool happen or tell people how many you know people I evangelize to or whatever. It's like, I want the love of God in me so that I can be aware and then once I see something, I can act on it because the love of Christ compels me. So that's, that's the boldness nature of Jesus. So we got awareness. We see that he's aware. And number two, he has boldness from the Holy Spirit, which is at its root is the love of God. Thirdly, um, and this is probably the most important thing, is that we observe Jesus's goodness. Jesus's ability to be Interrupted indicates his order of priorities. Jesus' priorities were always to destroy the works of the enemy, to make people well, and to usher in the kingdom of God. Destroy the works of the enemy, make people well, usher in the kingdom of God. That's what he was doing. Not in that order, but those three things. Um, so Jesus told us that whatever he did and whatever he said was completely 100% reflective of the Father in heaven. He says, I only do what the Father tells me to do. I only say what the Father tells me to say. So we can look at Jesus if we want to know what God is like and be like, that's what God is like. It's like Jesus. He said so. So that tells us that the Father's heart, if we look at this story, the Father's heart is for every individual, even someone who's unclean. This is why I love this, the songs we sang today. First of all, Holy Spirit, I don't know how many times I've sung that song and I've never heard this. Let us be more aware of your presence, point one. Let us experience the glory of your goodness. Point three. They got to add a line about boldness, but anyways. Um, <laughs> then the second song is saying, I know you are for me when everything's against me. That is faith. That is this. Knowing the goodness of God is one of the most important things we can spend our life seeking out. To know the goodness of God. We don't want to live our lives thinking, God, I know you can. And in our minds, we're like, I don't know if he will, though. You know? So look, look at the woman in this story. I love the line of the song. I know you're for me when everything's against me because she's considered unclean by Jewish law. That's by her faith, by the way, is that God is displeased with her. But she sees a man, Jesus, and believes he's good and he represents God, even though it conflicts with her current view of who God is. 
So she's believing, even though my circumstances would tell me God doesn't love me, I believe he does. That's what Jesus rewards here. See, it's one thing to to believe that Jesus has the power to do something. It's another thing to believe he is good and he will. And I would challenge you guys, that's what we need to dive into, is the goodness of God. And it's hard. I don't want to just like brush over how difficult life is because it is hard. Um, But we need to, if we don't know the goodness of God, we can't become the goodness of God. And we don't have to know it fully. Like that's an eternal job to do, right? Knowing him fully. But pursuing that, pursuing knowing it. I always go off on a tangent and I'm just lost. So, so what I want to you know, warn you guys about, and I've fallen into it, and I think we all fall into it, is that you can have an absent relationship with the Father and still believe in his power, if that makes sense. Um, sometimes we think, like, if I just believe in God's power, like, a miracle will happen, which isn't not, that, that's not not true. Like, I, <laughs> I'm not speaking for God here by saying that that won't work because I'm not going to claim I know how healing works. But I do know that to have a vibrant relationship with the Father, you do have to know his goodness. Psalm 910 says, those who know your name trust in you. Right there, how do you trust God? You know him, okay. Next, for Lord, you have never forsaken those who seek you. How do you know God won't forsake you? Seek him. This is how it always works. God, you're gone. You're gone. Where are you? Seek me. God, oh, oh, huh. God. You know, it's like, if we're not seeking him, we won't see him. It's the same awareness thing, you know. It's like, if we're not looking for God, we won't find him. Because he's not visible like other things. But he's very visible in, in the sense that God is. The, the spiritual sense. The, the reality that is real. So, those who know your name trust in you. For you will never forsake those who seek you. Psalm 910. Um, so if we ever hope to trust God truly, we have to know his goodness. And I'm, I'm only saying this because I'm learning this right now in my life. This is not something that I've already learned, and I will continue to learn until my life is over. So, and on into eternity. So, this is important with the interruptible peace because, man, if we don't believe in God's goodness, that he's really for every individual what matters to him won't matter to us. And it sounds harsh, but I've been there where it's like you're at the grocery store and you just want to get your groceries. But it's like, dang, but God cares about that cashier, you know? Not that you have to like do something like, here's a Bible and I want you to, you know? But like just knowing it in your mind, it's a mindset, right? We don't want to get into the always doing this, do this, do this, do this, if you love God. But changing your mindset so that when you see people, they're not a nuisance. They're not, a, you know, just like kind of a non-factor. It's like one person challenged me. When we see people, we always judge them. And I was like, no, I don't. It's like when you're walking down the street, you see someone, you just kind of almost subconsciously make, make statements like, ah, they're kind of big or, you know, they're kind of small. or It's more observations. But what if instead of doing that, we just blessed everybody, even in our minds, just like bless them, Lord. Thank you for them. You love them, God. That is cool. Thank you. Like, they're awesome. Like, that's the way he thinks. We want to try to think the way God thinks. So 
can't reiterate how much the goodness of God leads to why Jesus does this. It's because he's good. He doesn't condemn the woman. She trembles in fear, by the way. She's like, ah, sorry, you know. And he's like, daughter. He calls her daughter. I mean, that's amazing. So, so we have these three facets to focus on in our own lives. Awareness, boldness, and goodness. And the best part is that to obtain all these things, the only thing we need to do is to surrender to the Spirit moving through us. We're not trusting our awareness or our boldness or our goodness. That would not get me very far because I have ADD sometimes. But it's the awareness or conviction of the Spirit, the boldness that comes from the Spirit, and the unchanging, undeniable goodness of God in the midst of a broken and hurting world. That's what we bring. So the challenge for us is that we must receive all that. That's the, that's the whole, if I could wrap it all up, we have to receive it. So must, we must surrender to the Father's will and fill ourselves with the Spirit who leads us. Um, and we can't have these, these three things if we don't. And kind of wrap it up with this, but this is really important, is that the purpose of surrender is so that you can receive. You've probably, some of you have seen this illustration. It's like, if I want a cookie and I put my hand out like this, I'm not going to get a cookie because it's going to fall in onto the floor. But, you know, say I'm doing that because I have a marble in my hand, right? So, oh, I love this marble. You know, this is what would happen if I was five, um, but still applies today. Is It's like, if I don't let go of the marble, I can't get the cookie or anything else somebody wants to get me, right? So the purpose of surrender, when Jesus says, if anyone wants to come after me, they must deny themselves pick up their cross daily and follow me. He says that not because he wants us to suffer for suffering's sake, you know. He's saying that because he wants to give us something. He wants to give us our very own life. Whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. He wants to give us something. There is so much that, I mean, the scriptures just say it's unimaginable. The value he wants to give us. Why did the apostles suffer? Because they were willing that's why they knew they knew what they were getting in return. It's not like, oh, they're going to suffer and they hated it and it was terrible. I mean, it was from a physical experience, but they willingly did it. My question is why? What compelled them? Jesus. <laughs> so you cannot give what you haven't received and you cannot receive if you do not surrender. So if we want to give something to the world, it starts with surrender, but it's not a... It is hard, don't get me wrong. Surrender is always hard, but it's for something better than we could possibly imagine. And that's how we're filled with the Spirit so we can be aware, bold, filled with God's goodness for the works of ministry. Um, I'm sure I've tried to minister when I'm not filled with the goodness of God. He he uses it, don't get me wrong, but um, he's like, please just receive my love next time. So, So you're not always wondering, am I loved? Um, which that happens. It happens to me. I'm not condemning anyone. That happens. So, purpose of surrender is to receive everything we do in life, um, work, ministry, family. Everything starts with receiving the love of God, like you guys learned last week from the sermon. Constantly asking God, help me receive your love today. How do you want me, or how do you want to show me that you love me today? Like, it's not. It feels kind of weird to ask God that, but it's not weird. Like, I encourage you guys to do it because it's what he wants us to ask. He's begging us to ask him, like, 
asked me just to show you how much I love you. Why would he not want us to know that? Sometimes I think like, I don't think he really wants to show me that today, you know? He showed me that yesterday. He's like, he's like waiting for us to wake up so he can show us how much he loves us, you know? So pursue that. And this, this scripture just lays it out so perfectly. Ephesians 3.12 says, In Jesus, because he died in our place, and through trusting Jesus, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Um, some translations say we may approach God's throne with freedom and confidence. And so we're going to pray. And I, I want to... It helps me sometimes to pray if I'm just like visualizing. So we're going we're gonna to close our eyes, get in the prayer posture, whatever that is for you. And just imagine the throne of God. That is, let the Lord use your imagination. What does the throne of God look like? And now we're going to take take the scripture at its word and say that if, if we're in Jesus and we're living through Jesus, we can approach the throne of God in freedom and confidence. Picture yourself looking free and confident. What does that you look like? What does the freest you and the most confident you look like? And now, as yourself in that free and confident space, just run up to the throne of God and see how he reacts. And take a picture of that image in your mind. Just savor that image that God wants to be with you. He wants to be within you. Our Father who art in heaven, may your name be kept holy and hallowed in this place, in the throne room that we stand in. May your goodness shine in this world, because I believe you are good. In the light of your goodness, may your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is here in this throne room. May your kingdom come and your will be done in me as it is in heaven. I surrender all of me my possessions, my reputation, even my family and friends. I give these unto you and surrender them to you because I trust that you are good. Help me, Lord, to trust that you are good. And thank you for meeting me as I grow in faith, that you never condemn me. You always look at me and love me. You challenge me. You rebuke me, maybe, as is necessary, but you love me. And we thank you for that, Lord. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And Lord, we thank you so much for Kelsey and all the years that she's served here. She's one of the first people I met at UPC. She's a great servant. Thank you, guys.